Lord God, thank you um, that you are sovereign. You're in control of everything. Uh, thank you for the kids being upstairs with us this morning. Um, I pray, Father, that uh, we, we would hear from you, that they, they would be touched in some way uh, by you and your spirit, inviting them in to relationship with you. I pray for not just this local church, but for the global church. Um, would we live in faith and not, not in fear? Pray that we wouldn't be foolish as well, but that we would seek wisdom from you. You are the God of all wisdom. And we, we especially pray uh, for this coronavirus that's been labeled a pandemic in our nation. And, and frankly, God, I've been personally convicted that until it hit our soil, I, I wasn't as fervent in prayer not as concerned. So forgive my self-centeredness when it affected our brothers and sisters in China and the church there long before it came here. Um, but, but you have used uh, hardship, you've used difficulty throughout the ages to bring about your good purposes. So we ask that you would do it again. We, we pray you'd protect the healthcare workers, the leaders of that industry, uh, our government officials at every level, give them wisdom. I pray that their hearts would fear you as the holy God. Um, because the beginning, or the, the, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of you, Lord. And I, I just want, this is not something we do every Sunday, but I really want to invite you to pray out loud. Um, just, just, you know, as an expression of your faith. So I'm going to give us a minute as a church to, to pray uh, out loud. Um, and as a church, just ask God to move. Ask, ask his spirit to make us sensitive and to his invitation to join us to join him in what he's doing. All right, I'll, I'm going to close this down. Uh, 
Father, you're good and your love endures forever. And we know that nothing can separate those who belong to you from your love. So we pray that we would stand secure in your love. And uh, yeah, that you would teach us and form us during, during these days. Amen. All right. So kids and adults, we are in the middle of the greatest story ever told. It's the Bible story, and we're going through book by book. And kids, I don't expect you to be able to pay attention to everything I say today, because we're going to cover a whole book of the Bible, 40 chapters. The book of Exodus is where we're at. But I do want to encourage you, there's, there's probably going to be a couple things that catch your interest, or maybe you've heard of. So feel free to tune in and tune out. I'll do my best to keep it engaging. But two weeks ago, thanks Lily, two weeks ago we started this story and we saw that God created the heavens and the earth and he gave us, humanity, dominion, like the, the, the place of ruling over all of it. We saw that humanity, we didn't hold our end of this partnership that God designed us for. And so in love, God kicked us out of of his presence, of this paradise he created. The rest of the book of Genesis, we see time and time again how badly we, all of us, mess things up and how graciously, like how kindly God deals with us. And the book of Genesis ends with God's promised people, the family of Abraham, Isaac, and now Jacob, in the land of Egypt, where Joseph had risen to prominence from obscurity, and ultimately, through Joseph, God had provided not just for his own chosen people, but for the whole world at a time of great need, at a time of great difficulty, he provided through Joseph. And Exodus, the book that we're, in, that we're in right now, it begins with the end of Joseph's story. And it, it, it shows that Joseph's generation had died, but the next generation was now being fruitful and multiplying, just like God had told humanity at the start, be fruitful and multiply. So Exodus 1 Beginning in verse 8, it kind of sets the stage for the story of the Exodus. And it says this. Now there arose a new king over Egypt. He didn't know about Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the power of the people, or the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them. Because we don't want them to multiply. Because if war breaks out, they could join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore they set taskmasters over the people of Israel to afflict them with heavy burdens. The, the people of Israel built for Pharaoh store cities, Pithom and Ramses. But the more they were oppressed, the more the people multiplied, the more they spread. And the Egyptians, they were in dread. Yeah, they shrieked like that because of the people of Israel. They were scared. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work. And the people of Israel cried out to God. Perfect, perfect sound, uh, dra dramatized reading. So, so they ruthlessly made the people of Israel, Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard work in mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. And this is chapter one through four. Pharaoh is just trying to keep God's people down, destroy Israel, first by having Hebrew midwives kill baby boys, and that just didn't work. And then Pharaoh's like, okay, we're gonna have the baby boys thrown into the Nile of Egypt. And in the midst of that edict, that government plan, 
Um, Moses was born and thrown into the Nile in a basket, and so he goes downstream, and he ends up in Pharaoh's own house, and so Moses knows he's one of God's people, but he's also accepted as one of Pharaoh's people, and so he's, he kind of has this double identity in a way, and he ends up killing an Egyptian one day because he sees the Egyptian mistreating his person, and that murder becomes public, and so he flees out to the wilderness, and in the wilderness of Midian, Moses experiences God speaking to him out of a burning bush that keeps burning. It's not consumed up. And God, much to Moses' chagrin, Moses gives a lot of pushback, God sends Moses back to be his prophet, his mouthpiece, his leader to lead God's people out of Egypt because he heard the people's cries. Chapters 5 through 15 is this showdown between the God the God of Israel, and the Egyptian gods and, and Pharaoh. There's this showdown between who has the power here. And what we see in this showdown is the first couple plagues, the ten plagues happens here, the first couple plagues could be kind of replicated maybe in some way by Pharaoh's magicians, but then nothing can compare to the power of the one true God. And Pharaoh kept saying, okay, I'll finally let you go, I'll finally let you go. But once the plague stopped, Pharaoh's heart grew hard and God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Both are true. I can't explain it way above my pay grade, but it's a mystery. And finally, the last plague is the Passover, which is where God's people put the spotless blood of a lamb on their doorposts and the angel of death passed over those homes who were marked by the blood of the lamb. They, they left quickly, so they made bread without any yeast in it, unleavened bread, and they plundered the Egyptians. The Egyptians gave them all their good stuff on the way out. It was like Christmas morning, kids, um, because they got their freedom and a bunch of stuff on the way out, but there was more drama on the way out because Pharaoh, what do you know? He changed his mind again, and he had the, Egyptian, or he had the Israelites up against the Red Sea on one side and his army on the other side. The only thing that was protecting them was God's presence and the pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud. And everyone was rightly freaking out. But God was in control and he parted the Red Sea and we had salvation for God's people and judgment for the enemies of God when he made the Red Sea close in on Pharaoh and his pursuing army. And that's where the first worship song happens. First recorded worship song in the Bible. It's right here. After God rescued them from the Egyptians and led them through the Red Sea. Chapters 16 through 18, the people are finally th free. You think we're near the end of the book. Everything is good. Are they really free? It doesn't look like it because they say it was better in Egypt. That's how bad they're complaining about their food, their leadership. Even though God has provided, what is it? Manna. What is it? Not to mention, just drowning their enemies in a, in a sea, they, they question God. And that's how the first half of the book of Exodus ends. Kind of a disappointing, sour note. And so at this point, at this, let's take a little intermission and go back to the kind of 30,000 foot view of this book. We, we've covered part one, which was all about the Exodus, the getting out of Egypt, God rescuing his people out. But it hints at the fact that Egypt, as cruel as they were, that they weren't actually the people's biggest problem. 
Pharaoh wasn't the biggest problem. The biggest problem was sin and, and the forces behind sin. And in part two of Exodus, what we're going to see is God makes a covenant. Can you say covenant, kids? Thank you. I, I've not lost all of them. Okay, can we try again? Can everyone say covenant? Thanks. That's a really important word for the rest of this book and the rest of this story. And if you're like, okay, I can say it, but what is that? We don't use that word today. That's a great question, and that's how we're going to end. So I promise you I won't let you leave without telling you more of what a covenant is, what that means. So let's just dive in to part two of the story by picking up where we left off. And at this point, I invite you, if you're able, to stand as we honor God's word with a public reading. Uh, this is going to be chapters 19 through 20. So, kids, um, it, it's going to be a long reading. So, I know you'll be kids, and we're glad. That's great. Exodus 19 and 20. On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt on that day, they came into the wilderness at Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai and they encamped. So they set up camp in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain while Moses went up to God. The Lord called to Moses out of the mountain saying, thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and to the people of Israel, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice, and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So Moses came, called the elders, the leaders of the people, and set before them all the words the Lord had commanded Moses. And the people answered together and said, All the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'm coming to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe you forever. When Moses told the words of the people to the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people and you shall set limits for the people all around, saying, Take care not to go up into the mountain or to touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, they, came, they shall come up to the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people. They washed their garments and he said to the people, be ready for the third day. Don't go near a woman. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. So all the people in the camp trembled. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. And they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln and the whole mountain trembled greatly. As the, tr as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain where Moses went up. 
And the Lord said to Moses, go down and warn the people, lest they break through to the Lord to look and many of them perish. Also, let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. And Moses said to the people, I'm sorry, Moses said to the Lord, the people cannot come to Mount Sinai for you yourself warned us saying, set limits around the mountain and consecrate it. And the Lord said to him, go down and come up bringing Aaron with you, but do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them, and God spoke all these words saying, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down or serve them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on their children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you, your son, or your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who's within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth, the sea and all that's in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, his male servant, or his male or female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. And when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. They stood far off and they said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, do not fear for God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. Thanks, you can have a seat. I've realized that was a lot. In summary, what I want to highlight from that is the people say, sign us up for this covenant thing. But we cannot handle it, even from afar. So Moses, you be our mediator. And Moses does. Moses goes on to receive God's law instructions for living in this covenant relationship. And if you read Exodus 24, 8, God seals this covenant with the blood of bulls. That leads us to the next section, chapters 25 through 31, everyone's favorite. God gives instructions about the building of the tabernacle. No, that most people don't like reading this, but I want you to just think about what's happening. God is providing a place to meet with his people and it's full of th these symbols. There's lots of trees. There's fruit. There's angels. Is there a garden that that reminds you of? Maybe the Garden of Eden? It, it has a lot of ties 
that I see back to the garden, which if you think about it, they were kicked out of the garden. Now God is making a way for covenant relationship with his people again, the type of relationship he desires and intends with his people. But hold on. While God is painting pictures of he and humanity's reunited covenant relationship in his good creation, what's happening at the bottom of the mountain? We're about to find out. Chapters 32 through 34. Israel is breaking the covenant that they committed to. Before they ever get the full law, before they get the building instructions, this is the story of Aaron, Moses' own brother, making the people a golden calf. And the people are worshiping this calf as the God who brought them out of Egypt. And in doing so, they're breaking the covenant. And Moses intercedes. Moses basically says, God, blot me out of your book of life in order for this people to, to remain. For, for the sake of your name, God, do not wipe these people out in your justice. And God doesn't. So in chapters 35 through 40, um, they actually get the opportunity to build this tabernacle, this, this tent of meeting God. And they do so to the precise specifications that God gave them. And I want to just read Exodus 40. This is the end of the book. Uh, they, they finally built it. And, and we're going to see what happens. So Moses, which of course it was the whole community effort, Moses finished the work. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle and Moses was not able to enter the tent because the cloud settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys, whether the whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people would set out, but if the cloud was not taken up, they would not set out until the day that it was taken up. They would basically follow God because the cloud represented his movement. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day and the fire by night, just like back at the Red Sea and in the side of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. So what I want to highlight here is they went through all this work to build the tabernacle just like God had said, but the person, Moses, who interceded for them in God's presence on top of the mountain, he, he can't go in to the tent that they built. The, the mediator who is supposed to handle God's powerful presence on behalf of the people, he can't handle it. And that's how bad sin is. That's how bad their situation and our situation is. The enemy originally we saw was the serpent in the garden. Last week with Job, we saw the accuser in the heavenly command center that Job had no idea about. And in Exodus, it sure seems like the enemy is Pharaoh until you realize there's, there's a greater enemy. And it lies within the hearts of men and women. Even Moses, the great leader, the man of God throughout this book, at the end, he, he can't enter. And it's a cliffhanger of an ending to a story. And it just makes you want to read Leviticus. Because that's what's up next time. How God resolves that problem. The book of Leviticus. And so I want to point us to Christ through the Exodus story. And Hebrews 8 and chapter, chapters 8 and 12, it says that, uh, it says that the true tent is set up by the Lord, not man. This is Hebrews chapter, chap, uh, chapter 8, verse 2. So, so there's this man-made tent, 
But the author of Hebrews says there's actually a true tent (laughs) that God sets up. He doesn't have man set this one up. And he goes on to say that all these things in the law, they, they serve as a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things. Because when Moses was about to erect the tent, the tabernacle we just read about, he was instructed by God saying, see that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. We, we just read that story. But Christ has obtained a ministry, this, this covenant relationship mediator ministry that's as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better because it's enacted on better promises. What that means is the first covenant, we couldn't keep it. But in the second covenant, it depends on Jesus. He, he is the man, fully God and fully man, interceding for us. And in Hebrews 12, we, we see a New Testament vision of Mount Sinai, which we spent a lot of time reading about. We, we see it unpacked. Hebrews 12, 18 through 25. It says to the church, you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and storm or a trumpet blast and words made with, uh, with a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. We haven't come to something like that that we read in Exodus 19. They couldn't endure the order that was given, the order of if even an animal touches the mountain, it will be stoned. The people couldn't handle it. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I, I'm trembling with fear. You've come to Mount Zion. to the city of the living God, church, the heavenly Jerusalem. You've come to innumerable angels in joyful gathering, festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, to God, the judge of all, and the spirits of the righteous made perfect. You've come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. And all that, he makes all that Old Testament connection to say this, here's our application. See to it that you don't refuse him who's speaking. Because back then, if they, didn't, if they didn't escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we escape when we reject him who warns us from heaven? And so again, our application today is see to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. None of us hears God perfectly but we're all made for this covenant love relationship with God. And what kind of relationship doesn't involve personal communication both ways? So I just want to encourage you, I mean, in these days, but every day, what is God saying? We can easily give a lot of attention to what other people are saying and and not give appropriate attention to the Lord of Lords. God is at work So let's look for how he's inviting us to join him. And and it could be as simple as just doing the next thing for the glory of God. You know, eating lunch today with, with your spouse to the glory of God, cleaning up your home, taking care of your kids to the glory of God, praying about God, God, how can I serve my community? How can I love my neighbors? How can I connect with the lost in this time that we're living in the days of coronavirus? It's about valuing God supremely, having no other gods before him, giving him that type of attention, God, and that space to listen. What, what do you want to say to me? 
And as we, as we seek to do that, I think it's good to remember that just like the Israelites, we are quick to forget and we are quick to complain all the good that we have in Christ. And I think especially if you're saved at a young age, and I hope every single one of these kids are saved at a young age, but it's really important to pay attention to God's word. Because sin is crouching at all of our doors. And it's only the power of the gospel that we can master it. And so, I mean, I recognize, and I'm not trying to make light of the pandemic at all, but the real question is, how bad off would we be without Jesus? If his spirit was removed from our lives for a day, what difference would that make? And we're all learning how to live in his life, the power of his resurrection life. But, and none of us have what it takes, but we all have who it takes because the spirit of Jesus is available to any who put his, their trust in him. And so finally, you know we're at the end because we're talking covenant now. A covenant is not a contract. Covenant is personal. A contract is business. A covenant is based on integrity. Therefore, it's not designed with an out. It's a promise of a trust relationship. A contract is a transactional relationship. I give you this much money for you to do this job. If you don't do the job, deal's off. It's an exchange of goods. And, and if, if you're like, well, give me an example, man. How do we see this in real life? When you hear marriage vows, like, traditional marriage vows. It's never, if you do this, I will do this. It supersedes circumstances. I take you, Rose, my wife, to be my wife, to have and to hold from this day forward, not as long as it seems good to me, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish above all others, exclusivity, as long as we both shall live. It's an absolute commitment, no matter what. There are no contracts like that. And so, Christian, you're not in a contract with God. You are in a covenant, not sealed by the blood of bulls, but by the blood of Jesus. In conclusion, in Exodus, God rescued his people from slavery. And God rescues his people from the slavery of sin and death today through Jesus. And in Exodus, God made a covenant with his people. And Jesus Christ is our covenant mediator. He does what Moses couldn't do and what Moses didn't do. He keeps the covenant going. He keeps us in perpetual good standing and he changes us in the process. So let's, let's conclude by talking to God about our life, praying. In light of the certainty of God's covenant, mediated through Jesus, in light of God's holiness, What's, what's the next step for you?